0: Let's thank our worship team, our choir. Thanks, Seth, for leading us this morning. I don't know if you guys know, but every person that's up here today, all just volunteers that love Jesus, that love you, that love to worship and to help other people connect with God as we sing these songs and remind ourselves of these truths. And we're so grateful for our team uh, so good to be with you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm another Todd. Earlier, Ryan mentioned a Todd who's leading a, a mission trip down to Kentucky. That's not me. Uh, I'm not that handy, uh, but uh, I'm just the other Todd. And uh, so good to be with you guys and to dive into the truth of God's Word. We've been in a series here at the chapel where we've been walking really for, for several, several weeks now through the book of Acts. Which is really the history of the early church, and I just want to say that we recognize that you know, as as people come in this morning, we're at all kinds of different places, and uh, some some come anticipating and and hungering for God's word. Some come kind of exploring and wondering, like is this does this have anything to do with my life, and is this is this God thing real? And we just want you to know that we're glad that you're here, wherever you're kind of coming from, wherever you're at in your own spiritual journey. Our, our mission is to help people move one step closer. That means from wherever you're at today, our hope and prayer is that each one of us will just move a little bit closer in that journey. And some are, like I said, some are just kind of exploring faith, and, and yet some of us here in the room, man, when we sing the, these songs, we're declaring something that's become very, very personal and real to us. There's, there's people in the room that are convinced of the claims of Jesus and what He's done for us and would, would, would boldly say, I'm a follower of Christ. And you can't journey with Jesus very long before you start to realize that He calls us. If, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, He calls us to then share that faith with other people. In fact, as we launched into the book of Acts, back in chapter 1, verse 8, this kind of epic verse that propels us out into the world, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And that started in Jerusalem and then moved to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we see in the book of Acts is that very thing happening. And that's what God calls us as followers of Jesus, that's why we exist as a church, is to, to help more and more people hear the good news of Jesus. But you know, as a follower of Christ, I have to admit, sometimes, even as a pastor, sometimes I'm like, well, how do we do that, though? How do we do that one-on-one, person-to-person? How do we... How do we share our faith without it becoming so awkward? How do we share our testimony, our our story of how God has worked in our life without somebody feeling judged, but yet leading them uh, one step closer to the truth? It it begs the question how do we do that with people that uh, may consider just God irrelevant? And, And you may be here this weekend. It's like, I don't know if any of this is relevant. You're just wondering. Or how do, we, how do we share our faith with those who are completely ignorant of true Christianity? And I don't mean that as a slam. I mean that as a a, a detriment to the church as a whole. Like, how have, how have we communicated what real faith is and looks like and live that out with people? And there's people that are closed off to the good news of Jesus. It's because they just have never really come into contact with a person that, is really following Jesus? Or how do we do that with those that are intellectual and yet seem to be closed off? Those that might study, those that uh, are learners by life and yet seem to be closed off when it comes to the claims of Jesus. Or how do we do that with those that are religious in some way and yet they don't have a real living relationship with the God of the Bible through Jesus, His Son? So as we step into Acts chapter 17, I think we come across some some help, okay? It's it's a, the Apostle Paul, and he's continuing on his second missionary journey, and he's sharing faith with others. And the way that he goes about it with the people that he comes into contact with, I think can be helpful to those of us in the room that are convinced followers of Jesus on some steps that we can take. We can learn some principles from Paul and Silas and Timothy who would later join him on this journey of how we can then better share our faith with those who don't yet know Jesus. And if you're here and you're just exploring, I hope that some of this will even resonate with you, that you'd be sitting there saying, man, um, I'm not convinced of who Jesus is or whether the Bible is true yet. But if somebody was trying to share their faith with me. Yeah, these are some things that I, I would hope that they would utilize. Uh, th- these were some approaches, some principles that they would be living out if they were trying to share their faith with me. I think there's something that we can all gain something from. It's Acts chapter 17, and again, Paul's entering into his second missionary journey. It says, and while Paul was waiting for them, in Athens. Now he was waiting on uh two of his compadres who had uh set out with him and they were still back at the previous town. Paul had went on ahead of them and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him and he's waiting in the city of Athens. Now Athens was like uh well, it was like Port Clinton. It was like it was like tourist destination, right? I mean like Athens was this beautiful place along the sea. There was incredible architecture. Uh, not only that, it was, it was a cultural epicenter of thought. Uh, it was, I mean, it was a place to go. It, w- it would have been on people's bucket lists to visit. And Paul is there, and he's waiting in Athens. And as he's waiting, the text says, while he was waiting, says he was deeply troubled. He was troubled because he saw all the idols everywhere in the city. Now, this was a place that was full of Greek gods and goddesses. And there were statue after statue, stone and marble and gold and silver, all these myriad of idols that the people worshipped. And Paul steps into this city as a believer in the one true God, and it says he's deeply troubled, he's concerned, he's overwhelmed, he's feeling a bit of the jealousy that the God of the Bible has for you and for me. And when we put someone or something in God's rightful place in our life, God, the Bible says, he's a a jealous God. He's jealous in love and passion, and he wants this relationship with humanity. And yet we so often fill our lives with other things that come before God. That's all that idolatry is. And we may not have, you know, statues set up that we bow before on a daily basis, but man, it's easy. It's easy to create idols in our lives, things that we bow before, whether it's, you know, our stuff, whether it's... it's, it's, Uh, our homes, whether it's our power, whether it's our prestige, whether it's our money, whether it's our job status, whether it's our family, whether it's sports, you name it, it can become an idol in our lives. Now in Athens, they had all these described idols and different gods that they blatantly, you know, gave themselves to. And yet, it was all that they knew. This is what they grew up with. It's like when a couple years ago, I got to travel to India with Pastor Jay to investigate a new ministry partnership there. And town after town, there would be all these, these elaborate setups and colorful idols and Literally, people would go there and, and they'd, they'd leave things to pay homage or they'd bow and they'd worship and they'd pray. All these idols and yet missing a relationship with the one true God. And Paul is deeply troubled by all of this. But what's interesting is he sees all this and it doesn't dissuade him from going and sharing his faith anyway. He doesn't look and go, oh, this is a hopeless city. Oh, they've already got all their gods. There's no room for the God of the Bible for them. Or or he doesn't judge them and say, man, they'll never believe. No, look at the text. It says, and he went immediately into the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And then it says, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So Paul, as was his tradition on his missionary journeys, he went first to the synagogue, which was the place where Jews had gathered to worship. Jews who believed in the same God as Paul, but hadn't believed in Jesus as the Savior and Messiah of the world yet. And so he goes there and he begins to share with them. And and I'm sure he reasoned from the Jewish scriptures to reach out to them, to point to real living faith. But then it says he also went to the public square. Paul was just willing to go wherever the people were. That's the first principle, I think, that we can take away from this section of the Scriptures in the book of Acts, is to go where the people are. And that's what Paul did. He went to the synagogue, he went to the public square. It it makes me think about in in September, we're going to gather... for a thing called Wings and Worship. One of our ladies' small groups here at the chapel is kind of putting it together and then they asked Spencer and the, some of the worship team members to do some music and right in the middle of downtown Port Clinton, we're going to gather and there's going to be food and you can go get wing specials and our worship team is going to lead in worship and we'll be able to just rub shoulders literally in the public square with other people. The, the, the songs that will be reverberating from, the, from that stage that often is reverberating all kinds of other sounds and songs and music. Why? So we can be in the heart of the city and right where the people are. Looking for opportunity to love on people and to have conversation and to point people to Jesus. And that's what Paul was doing. He's in the synagogue. He's in the public squares. He's just going wherever the people are. And here's the reality the reality you don't even have to go anywhere. God already has each one of you uniquely positioned in your neighborhood, at the gym, in your workplace, at your school, on the field. Wherever you are is an opportunity to represent Jesus, to To share Jesus with others by our life, by our attitude, by our words, by our love. And so, we're already where the people are. The question is, are we utilizing those opportunities? And that's what Paul was doing. It says he also, while he was there, had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, who are these guys? Now, I like the debate part. I remember when I was a new Christian, and I would meet up with a couple buddies, and a couple of them were from other churches, and we'd go sit at the at the local Big Boy. I know, is Big Boy still open here? Yeah, okay. Uh, yours is a Frisch's, right? Ours was an Elias Brothers. And, and I remember we would sit late at night, and we'd sip on coffee, and they'd bring us a pot, and we'd just sit there, and, and we'd debate. And, I mean, we just go back and forth on On different theological issues and looking at the Bible, the only problem was we. There were times, and there were some people in that little group of guys that would just—they were just there to debate, to debate, right? You ever met anybody like that? They're just looking. I'm just looking for a fight. I'm just looking for an argument. I just want to get riled up, and you know, let's just go at it. But Paul is debating with a, a much grander purpose. He's looking to bring understanding. His heart has gone out towards this, towards this city and all the false things that they've put hope in. And so he begins to debate. And it says he's debating with the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans, they were like the... They kind of lived by the motto "If it feels good, do it." Like they were the pleasure seekers of the day. Like life is short, so just get all you can, enjoy all you can. I mean, these were the people that you wanted to have at a party, okay? Uh, but the, the the Stoic philosophers they were like the opposite. They 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 lived a simple life. They they believed in even trying to avoid pleasures and worldly happiness, and everything was serious and and Stoic, not the people that you wanted to have at a party. <laughs> but it says Paul was debating with both of them, and they, both of these groups he was just interacting with. And so the text goes on to say, and when he told the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas that he's picked up? And others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods Now remember Athens it was a cultural epicenter it was it was a place of the intelligentsia the the the, the, the thought provoking uh conversations the the learning and understanding and investigating and debating and here they call Paul a babbler which i don't think i mean the Apostle Paul, he was a smart person. He was intelligent. He was probably trained to be a lawyer. And, and, and Paul could argue with the best and could communicate with the best, and yet they call him a babbler. And I think the reason is because he, he was saying some things that resonated with him, but then he was saying some new things that didn't make sense at all to them. And it was just kind of this hodgepodge that they weren't used to hearing, and especially this news about Jesus and the resurrection. This, this was new to them. It says, Then they took him to the high council of the city, or the Areopagus. They said, Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. They enunciated, like, Paul, you're you're talking about some stuff, and I mean we've seemingly heard it all, but you're saying some things that are all new, uh, th- that are honestly they're they're kind of rather strange, and yet they were intriguing. You ever had something like that that it, it was it just sounded a little different, a little awkward, a little concerning, maybe a too, little too good to be true, and yet there was just something about it though that went. Okay, but I mean, could that be real? Or is there anything to that? Or could that really help? Or should I try that? And, and, and these these philosophers are they're they're kind of interested, and they want to know more. And so they they go to the Areopagus. I mean, now I mean he's in a place where I mean the leader of leaders of thought. And Paul has this opportunity, and they say. You're saying some strange things, Paul. And verse 21 says, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, they seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. And yet this, Jesus, and that he's died on the cross and that he's risen from the dead, this was a new thought, this was a strange thought, which leads us to another principle that I think we need to remember as followers of Jesus, that We need to remember that the good news is sometimes strange news to those that haven't heard it or haven't ever fully understood it yet. Just this past week, I sat in my office with a a gentleman, 66 years old. He said, Todd, he said, I got to tell you, I started coming to the chapel just three months ago, and I've learned more about God and the Bible in the last three months than I've learned in the last 66 years of my life. And he wanted to talk to me about some of the things that he was hearing and, and an experience that he had had that he's like, I, I, just, I just don't know what to do with what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. It, it was new. It was, it was strange <laughs> to him because he had never really experienced the truth of God's word. And God's spirit at work in his life. And man, God was all over this man's life. And we need to remember as we're interacting with people that what we've maybe as a follower of Jesus, maybe as a church attender who's grown up with this or or who comes every weekend and like we get it and as soon as Pastor Ryan or myself or one of the other pastors starts talking about Jesus and he died on the cross, you're like, yeah, I know, I know that story. We need to remember that for some, it's the first time they're ever hearing it. And for some, it's, it's peculiar, it's different. It's like, what? Is this real? And yet some were interested. And so now the question is, what's Paul going to say? It says, so Paul, standing before the council, he addressed them as follows. He said, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. He says, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. Remember the things that Paul, when he got into Athens, it says he was so troubled over because he saw all the idols amongst the the city. And instead of judging the people, he he looks for a way to connect with them. He says, "I, I noticed that. You're very religious in every way. This leads to another principle that instead of just judging immediately, we need to look to affirm the spiritual hunger in people's lives. I mean, if you're here and you're just like exploring faith or you're not a Christian, wouldn't this be helpful though if like the first thing that a Christian hit you with was, well, you know, you can't be doing that. Hey, you know, you got to change that. Hey, you know, you're way off course on that. And even if some of those things were true, I mean, Paul stepped into the city, and he's deeply overwhelmed. He sees all the shrines and, and, and idols. But the first thing that he does when he gets the opportunity, he doesn't say, you know, you guys, you got it all wrong. You got a plethora of gods here. You're, work, you're worshiping marble and stone and, and images. You need to get rid of these idols. But that's not the first thing that He says. He says, "Man, I can tell just by looking around, you're very religious. You're very spiritual. Like, you you're you have an interest in the supernatural. And so instead of judging immediately, he affirms their spiritual hunger. And what if we did that with, with the people that we go to school with, and the the coworkers that we are on the line next to, or the the friends that that we're on the field with, and, Instead of just calling them out on everything that's wrong in their life, if we look for the things where you can tell that they're just looking for something more. That the, the people are they're hungry for, for connection, for community, that they're hungry for for real authentic love. And, and we can point that out and say, you know, I can tell you're just you're looking for like an authentic love. And I want to tell you, there's no greater love than the love that the God of the Bible has for you. Love so strong that he would sacrifice his own son. What What if we leaned into the spiritual hungers in people's souls? That's what Paul was doing, and I think we can learn something from him. And so he goes on. He says, I see that you're religious in every way. He says, and in fact, on one of your altars, I noticed an inscription on it that says, to an unknown God. Now, this was kind of like their way of covering their butts. Like, okay, we've got this God for this, and this God for this, and this shrine for this, and this shrine for this, you know. And, well, you know what, just in case we've missed some God that's out there so that he doesn't get mad at us or you know, punish us, let's just create one idol that just says it's to the, you know, the unknown, kind of the catch-all, like the just in case, all right? And I love what Paul says. He says, I noticed, I noticed. I mean, he's taking note. He's, he's showing interest in their idols. Listen, just because someone has an idol in their life, whatever it might be, doesn't mean that we can't ask questions or try to understand why that thing has become so important to them. Show interest. And then he says, this God whom you worship without knowing, this unknown God that you've put the label on this this thing to, he is the one that I'm telling you about. I love it. (laughs) Paul's like, hey, the one that you're worried that could be out there, but that you don't really know, I know him, and I want to make him known to you. That leads to the fourth principle, just share the truth. When the opportunity comes, just share the truth. And I love uh, John Stott's uh, uh, commentary on the book of Acts. He does such a masterful job, and he picks out five key truths that I want to just share with you as we close our time together that helped Point the people in Athens towards the real Jesus and challenge their idolatrous lifestyle. First, he, he says, God is the creator of the universe. And this is what Paul said to the, all the people that were gathered there in the Areopagus He says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and of earth, He doesn't live in man made temples. He begins at the very grassroots of what they've believed and he he says, listen, this unknown God that you're talking about, he's the creator God and he's created everything that exists and your your man-made temples and your shrines and your idols, they can't contain this God because he's the very creator of everything that is. He goes on and points out that God is the sustainer of life. I love Paul's words here. He says, and human hands can't serve his needs. Like you bowing down before him and paying homage to him and serving him, you're not going to meet the needs of this God for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. This God that you don't know yet, he's the God that will meet everything that is longing within you. That's what Paul's saying. And he goes on to point out that God is the the ruler of all nations, which included the people of Athens. He says, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they would fall, and he determined their boundaries. In verse 27, he says, his purpose, this God, this unknown God that you don't know yet, who I'm telling you about, His purpose in all of this was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And I love this part. Though he is not far from any one of us. And then he quotes a philosopher, a poet of the day. He says, for in him we live and move and exist. Well, Paul goes on to proclaim this in verse 28 and 29. He says, As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he points out that God really is the father of all humanity, the creator, and that he's relational. He says, Since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen made from gold or silver or stone. He's saying, God is not a a thing, God is a person. He's real, he's a spirit. And he's the father of all humanity. And remember, he says, he quotes some of their own poets. We are his offspring, which was a reference to the the God of Zeus. And yet here, Paul is saying, no, this is the real one true God. And And he uses their poetry, which leads to another principle that we need to stay relevant. Like, talk to people in their world, where they're living, and then use that to point them. To the reality of who God is and the person of Jesus. And he says, God is the judge of the world. And Paul goes on to remind people of our ultimate fate. He says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. So listen. Paul, in relating to the people and affirming their spiritual hungers and not judging them immediately, it does not mean that he's not willing to say hard things. And here he starts to lay it out as he's built some rapport with them, as he's shared faith with them, as he's argued from the scriptures, and as he's argued from their own philosophical viewpoints, he says, "Listen, God is asked, not just asked. He's called. He's demanded everyone." To repent and turn to him. Verse 31 says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man that he has appointed to everyone. And he shows, shows who this is by raising him from the dead. He was saying, Listen, Jesus, the one that I'm talking about to you, is the judge of the living and the dead, and every person will answer to him. He's saying to these these Athenians and these philosophers, these thought-indulgent people, that you need to think about eternity, that you need to think about the end of your days, because there is a judgment coming, and God is the judge, and God has appointed Jesus as the judge. It says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, Some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But look what it says in verse 34. But some joined him and became believers. And among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And this leads to a final principle that we've got to leave the results up to God. Some people just scoffed at Paul's words and laughed it off. But some were intrigued, some were interested, and some even believed. As we share our faith with others this week, as we work and live and play and interact, we can't control people's responses. Only God's Spirit can change a person's heart and mind. But when we do our part, we can trust that God will handle the results. We just want to be faithful. I love how Paul uh, concludes uh, one of his other letters in the book of Colossians. And you'd think, Paul, this mastermind, this brilliant theologian and debater, would never be nervous about sharing faith, but he was. And this is what he prayed with the Colossian believers, and it's what I want to pray over all of us. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. In other words, he's saying, God, open open my heart to others. It says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. For that is why I'm here in chains. Ultimately, he's saying, God, open a door of opportunity. And then he says, and I pray that I will proclaim this message clearly as I should. In other words, he's saying, God, open my mouth. (laughs) Help me to to share you with others. And then he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. It's like he's saying, and just... Help me to open my life to others and may what they see be gracious and attractive. Listen, if that's how we lived as followers of Jesus, if we followed some of Paul's principles in sharing our faith, I don't think we would sense so much pushback because we would have led with love and truth and that makes all the difference pray with me. God, thank you for your faithfulness.